chapter five part one of the quintessence of ibsenism by george bernard shaw this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter five the objective anti-idealist plays part one ibsen had now written three immense dramas all dealing with the effect of idealism on individual egotists of exceptional imaginative excitability this he was able to do whilst his intellectual consciousness of his theme was yet incomplete by simply portraying sides of himself he has put himself into the skin of brand and Peer gynt he has divided himself between maximus and julian these figures have accordingly a certain direct vitality which we shall find in none of his later male figures until it reappears under the shadow of death less as vitality than as mortality putting on immortality in the four great plays with which he closed and crowned his life's work there are flashes of it in relling in louvborg in elida's stranger from the sea but they are only flashes henceforth for many years indeed until his warfare against vulgar idealism is accomplished and a new phase entered upon in the master builder all his really vivid and solar figures are women for having at last completed his intellectual analysis of idealism he could now construct methodical illustrations of its social working instead of as before blindly projecting imaginary personal experiences which he himself had not yet succeeded in interpreting further now that he understood the matter he could see plainly the effect of idealism as a social force on people quite unlike himself that is to say on everyday people in everyday life on shipbuilders bank managers parsons and doctors as well as on saints romantic adventurers and emperors with his eyes thus opened instances of the mischief of idealism crowded upon him so rapidly that he began deliberately to inculcate their lesson by writing realistic prose plays of modern life abandoning all production of art for art's sake his skill as a playwright and his genius as an artist were thenceforth used only to secure attention and effectiveness for his detailed attack on idealism no more verse no more tragedy for the sake of tears or comedy for the sake of laughter no more seeking to produce specimens of art forms in order that literary critics might fill the public belly with the east wind the critics it is true soon declared that he had ceased to be an artist but he having something else to do with his talent than to fulfil critics definitions took no notice of them not thinking their ideal sufficiently important to write a play about the league of youth eighteen sixty nine the first of the series of realistic prose plays is called pillars of society but before describing this a word must be said about a previous work which seems to have determined the form the later series took between Peer gynt and emperor and galilean ibsen had let fall an amusing comedy called the league of youth in which the imaginative egotist reappears farcically as an ambitious young lawyer politician who smarting under a snub from a local landowner and county magnate relieves his feelings with such a passionate explosion of radical eloquence that he is cheered to the echo by the progressive party intoxicated with this success he imagines himself a great leader of the people 
and a wielder of the mighty engine of democracy he narrates to a friend a dream in which he saw kings swept helplessly over the surface of the earth by a mighty wind he has hardly achieved this impromptu when he receives an invitation to dine with the local magnates whose friends to spare his feelings have misled him as to the person aimed at in the new demagogue's speech the invitation sets the egotist's imagination on the opposite tack he is presently pouring forth his soul in the magnate's drawing-room to the very friend to whom he related the great dream my goal is this in the course of time he says i shall get into parliament perhaps into the ministry and marry happily into a rich and honourable family i intend to reach it by my own exertions i must and shall reach it without help from any one meanwhile i shall enjoy life here drinking in beauty and sunshine here there are fine manners life moves gracefully here the very floors seem laid to be trodden only by lacquered shoes the armchairs are deep and the ladies sink exquisitely into them here the conversation goes lightly and elegantly like a game at battledore and no blunders come plumping in to make an awkward silence here i feel for the first time what distinction means yes we have indeed an aristocracy of culture and to it i will belong don't you yourself feel the refining influence of the place etc etc for the rest the play is an ingenious comedy of intrigue clever enough in its mechanical construction to entitle the french to claim that ibsen owes something to his technical education as a playwright in the school of scribe one or two episodes are germs of later plays and the suitability of the realistic prose comedy form to these episodes no doubt confirmed ibsen in his choice of it pillars of society eighteen seventy seven pillars of society is the history of one karsten bernick a pillar of society who in pursuance of the duty of maintaining the respectability of his father's firm of shipbuilders has averted a disgraceful exposure by allowing another man to bear the discredit not only of a love affair in which he himself had been the sinner but of a theft which was never committed at all having been merely alleged as an excuse for the firm being out of funds at a critical period bernick is an abject slave to the idealizings of one rurland a schoolmaster about respectability duty to society good example social influence health of the community and so on when bernick falls in love with a married actress he feels that no man has a right to shock the feelings of rurland and the community for his own selfish gratification however a clandestine intrigue will shock nobody since nobody need know of it he accordingly adopts this method of satisfying himself and preserving the moral tone of the community at the same time unluckily the intrigue is all but discovered and bernick has either to see the moral security of the community shaken to its foundations by the terrible scandal of his exposure or else to deny what he did and put it on another man as the other man happens to be going to america where he can easily conceal his imputed shame bernick's conscience tells him that it would be little short of a crime against society to neglect such an opportunity and he accordingly lies his way back into the good opinion of rurland and company at the emigrant's expense there are three women in the play for whom the schoolmaster's ideals have no attractions first there is the actress's daughter 
who wants to get to america because she hears that people there are not good for she is heartily tired of good people since it is part of their goodness to look down on her because of her mother's disgrace the schoolmaster to whom she is engaged condescends to her for the same reason the second has already sacrificed her happiness and wasted her life in conforming to the rurland ideal of womanliness and she earnestly advises the younger woman not to commit that folly but to break her engagement with the schoolmaster and elope promptly with the man she loves the third is a naturally free woman who has snapped her fingers at the current ideals all her life and it is her presence that at last encourages the liar to break with the ideals by publicly telling the truth about himself the comic personage of the piece is a useless hypochondriac whose function in life as described by himself is to hold up the banner of the ideal this he does by sneering at everything and everybody for not resembling the heroic incidents and characters he reads about in novels and tales of adventure but his obvious peevishness and folly make him much less dangerous than the pious idealist the earnest and respectable rurland the play concludes with bernick's admission that the spirits of truth and freedom are the true pillars of society a phrase which sounds so like an idealistic commonplace that it is necessary to add that truth in this passage does not mean the nursery convention of truth-telling satirized by ibsen himself in a later play as well as by labiche and other comic dramatists it means the unflinching recognition of facts and the abandonment of the conspiracy to ignore such of them as do not bolster up the ideals the idealist rule as to truth dictates the recognition only of those facts or idealistic masks of facts which have a respectable air and the mentioning of these on all occasions and at all hazards ibsen urges the recognition of all facts but as to mentioning them he wrote a whole play as we shall see presently to show that you must do that at your own peril and that a truth-teller who cannot hold his tongue on occasion may do as much mischief as a whole university full of trained liars the word freedom means freedom from the tyranny of the rurland ideals a doll's house eighteen seventy nine unfortunately pillars of society as a propagandist play is disabled by the circumstance that the hero being a fraudulent hypocrite in the ordinary police court sense of the phrase would hardly be accepted as a typical pillar of society by the class he represents accordingly ibsen took care next time to make his idealist irreproachable from the standpoint of the ordinary idealist morality in the famous doll's house the pillar of society who owns the doll is a model husband father and citizen in his little household with the three darling children and the affectionate little wife all on the most loving terms with one another we have the sweet home the womanly woman the happy family life of the idealist dream mrs nora helmer is happy in the belief that she has attained a valid realization of all these illusions that she is an ideal wife and mother and that helmer is an ideal husband who would if the necessity arose give his life to save her reputation a few simply contrived incidents disabuse her effectually on all these points one of her earliest acts of devotion to her husband has been the secret raising of a sum of money to enable him to make a tour which was necessary to restore his health as he would have broken down sooner than go into debt 
she has had to persuade him that the money was a gift from her father it was really obtained from a money-lender who refused to make her the loan unless she induced her father to endorse the promissory note this being impossible as her father was dying at the time she took the shortest way out of the difficulty by writing the name herself to the entire satisfaction of the money-lender who though not at all duped knew that forged bills are often the surest to be paid since then she has slaved in secret at scrivener's work until she has nearly paid off the debt at this point helmer is made manager of the bank in which he is employed and the money-lender wishing to obtain a post there uses the forged bill to force nora to exert her influence with helmer on his behalf but she having a hearty contempt for the man cannot be persuaded by him that there was any harm in putting her father's name on the bill and ridicules the suggestion that the law would not recognize that she was right under the circumstances it is her husband's own contemptuous denunciation of a forgery formerly committed by the money-lender himself that destroys her self-satisfaction and opens her eyes to her ignorance of the serious business of the world to which her husband belongs the world outside the home he shares with her when he goes on to tell her that commercial dishonesty is generally to be traced to the influence of bad mothers she begins to perceive that the happy way in which she plays with the children and the care she takes to dress them nicely are not sufficient to constitute her a fit person to train them to redeem the forged bill she resolves to borrow the balance due upon it from an intimate friend of the family she has learnt to coax her husband into giving her what she asks by appealing to his affection for her that is by playing all sorts of pretty tricks until he is wheedled into an amorous humour this plan she has adopted without thinking about it instinctively taking the line of least resistance with him and now she naturally takes the same line with her husband's friend an unexpected declaration of love from him is the result and it at once explains to her the real nature of the domestic influence she has been so proud of all her illusions about herself are now shattered she sees herself as an ignorant and silly woman a dangerous mother and a wife kept for her husband's pleasure merely but she clings all the harder to her illusion about him he is still the ideal husband who would make any sacrifice to rescue her from ruin she resolves to kill herself rather than allow him to destroy his own career by taking the forgery on himself to save her reputation the final disillusion comes when he instead of at once proposing to pursue this ideal line of conduct when he hears of the forgery naturally enough flies into a vulgar rage and heaps invective on her for disgracing him then she sees that their whole family life has been a fiction their home a mere doll's house in which they have been playing at ideal husband and father wife and mother so she leaves him then and there and goes out into the real world to find out its reality for herself and to gain some position not fundamentally false refusing to see her children again until she is fit to be in charge of them or to live with him until she and he become capable of a more honourable relation to one another he at first cannot understand what has happened and flourishes the shattered ideals over her as if they were as potent as ever he presents the course most agreeable to him that of her staying at home and avoiding a scandal as her duty to her husband to her children and to her religion but the magic of these disguises is gone and at last even he understands what has really happened 
and sits down alone to wonder whether that more honourable relation can ever come to pass between them end of chapter five part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine